You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMS Cast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett and I'm joined by two very special guests from Web Dev Studios. I've got Lisa Sabin Wilson and Brad Williams. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing good. I'm really excited for this conversation. It's always fun for me to interview people that I've known about online for a while that I haven't spent a lot of time with. I've seen you guys on videos. I've followed the progress of web dev studios over the years it's cool to talk to you and in a public format really geek out about wordpress working with clients learning social stuff um i think it's going to be a great conversation i'd like to start around uh the importance of discovery with the client some of the people listening to this episode or to the show build sites for clients or they themselves work at a certain kind of company and they need to know like what they're dealing with, what they're getting into. <clears throat> Recently, I've spent some time diving into the use cases and business cases of learning management systems. I'm going to list off eight here. Um, the first one is an expert or guru business. It's kind of the classic, really, it's really in trend and vogue right now uh, with a course, a membership site based around expertise. Then we have internal training. Then we have blended learning scenarios. Then we have online learning marketplaces, online schools, continuing education, WordPress as a service, and then LMS for product marketing and onboarding. So these are a lot of different use cases. Um, when you guys are working with a client and learning comes on the table, how do you discover that? Discovery. <laughs> I mean, the, um, you know, I guess I'm just trying to think in general, like how that happened. Generally speaking, when someone reaches out and learning or an LMS or some kind of learning component is a part of the project, we usually know ahead of time because at the very least, you know, by reaching out to us, they give us some insight into high level goals for a project. Um, that's not always the case, right? But but generally speaking, it is. So we always hop on a call and uh, just like you would any other, you know, lead come in the door. Um, but once we actually engage with the client, you know, um, the most one of the most important steps that we do at this company, no matter what we're what the project is, is a, a in depth discovery. Um, and that, uh, you know, I'll let Lisa talk about that because she really has architected this discovery process that we do at Web Dev Studios. Um, really revamped it completely over the last few years, and honestly, it's 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 a beautiful thing to see it go. So I won't steal your thunder, Lisa. I'll let you touch on how we do discovery. Thanks, Brad. Uh, yeah, discovery is kind of um, my wheelhouse, my cup of tea. So when somebody does come to us and say they have an LMS, they already have a good idea of what they want to accomplish, right? Whether they want to sell courses, whether they want to have um, internal private courses for their own staff, whatever. I mean, whatever it is, they already have an idea. So from our standpoint, from an agency standpoint, it's really just pulling that data that those details out um, of the client's head like what is the user experience from step one to step done 
and what are all the steps. So what we do is typically go through all of the different um, features that are available in an LMS. And by process of elimination, um, we know what they need, what they don't need. You know, there's course building with an LMS, obviously, when you're uh, with tools for like uploading different file types, like videos, PDFs, links to other content, documents. So what do they need around that? Um, course progress information, do they need to display to their users, you know, how well they're doing with the course, yes or no? If they do, then we dig into that a little bit more. Um, so we kind of run through the gambit of uh, features available with an LMS, things like I've already mentioned, um, student enrollment and management, content dripping, quizzes and tests. Um, do they need a, a kind of a social layer on that with BuddyPress or even a forum like BBPress integration um, for users to like generate profiles or interact with other users in the network? Um, or for teachers to chat through forums or groups. Um, you know, and we talk about things like reporting. Do they need to be able to report on user activity or progress or types of courses or even financial marketing tools? Do what kind of automated emails do they need to look at? Um, payment gateways are another really big uh, question in terms of, you know, how are they selling this? If they're selling this, you know, what type of payment gateway do they want to use? Um, Gamifications and certificates are another feature that we want to talk about. Like there's Badge OS and there are different gamification things that can really complement uh, an online learning portal if they need or want to have that. Um, homework options, you know, should users have the ability to submit homework or assignments and what's the grading process and all of that. So we really dig into those. And the reason why we go through all of the different features is because number one, our clients may not know what features are available with WordPress and an LMS. So we may actually say something that sparks some excitement with them that they didn't think about. Like they might think, oh, gamification, that's super cool to be able to encourage people and give them some, you know, achievements for participation. That's another layer that maybe they didn't think about. So that discovery kind of serves two purposes. It gives us the set of requirements that the clients need, and it maybe introduces the client into some different um, features and, and ideas that they didn't think about. Yeah, you know, one, one other thing too, it also helps identify kind of where a client's at in their process. Because when they talk about having courses um, or gamification, like, great, um, we can absolutely do that. Ha is that. Have you sat down and kind of architected what the courses are going to be? You know, how are they going to be managed? Have you talked about the type of, um, you know, gamification or achievements that they can earn and how they're going to earn those? Generally speaking, probably at that point, maybe they have a high-level idea of some of the things, but they don't have all the details. So it's a good way to help define some homework for the client. Say, okay, great, let's start, you know, on your side, start thinking about the achievements you want to highlight through gamification, start thinking about that coursework and how that will look and how we'll present that. Because while we can make recommendations, we can't necessarily always answer those questions because it's very dependent on what they're trying to do. Um, so it's, it's a really great process, really thorough process. Yeah. So if you, if you come to us and say, I want an LMS, expect a lot of questions from us. Because that means so many different things. Well, I got to ask you, Lisa, when you rattled that off, all those features of LMS, how did you become familiar with that suite of like feature sets there? Uh, through necessity. Okay. Right. So, all right, number one, I write books on WordPress, right? I, okay. I write WordPress for Dummies books, uh, WordPress for Dummies for web design books. So 
I have to be on top of what's current, what's out there, what features are available in order to speak to that stuff intelligently. So that's number one. Number two, I have to be able to speak intelligently to our clients, right? And to help our development teams through like maybe what they don't know an LMS can do if they don't have, you know, experience with it. So, um, you know, I think anybody who is a provider of service like we are should be able to speak intelligently to those types of things if that's the service that they're offering. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, you guys do enterprise WordPress development. And if there's a, somebody listening out there who hasn't quite developed a discovery process or whatever, I'm just curious, how long does it take for you guys or does it depend on the project? Like what's a, or a, like what percentage of an overall project is discovery? Can you just give us a sense of how much you invest in the discovery process? Um, I mean, every single project has a discovery. And I think with each project, it depends on the scale of the project, really. Um, but I would, and Brad, please step in on this, but I would say 10 to 20% of a project budget is discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, on average, our discovery, um, is at least a couple weeks. Um, if not three to four weeks, you know, um, uh, sometimes even longer, if it's a really complex build, um, really it's, and the, and the thing we, the way we really describe it is it needs to take as long as it needs to take. Right. Because we, we like to, the way we describe it to clients is it's the blueprint, right? Like if you're going to have an addition added to your house or build a whole brand new house, cool, let's build a house, right? But we got to sit down and, and figure out the blueprint of exactly how we're going to build this house, not just what you want, but how are we going to build what you want? You know, what tools are we going to use? You know, what if we're, if we're building an LMS, what's the backbone of that? Is it Lifter? Is it something else? And a lot of it through the series of these questions is helping us identify the proper tools, you know, for the job. We're not in the business of reinventing the wheel. I mean, that's why we love WordPress and open source. There's so many great tools out there that can get us so far ahead. We can focus on the, you know, customizing it to really tailor, but the, the core of it is done, you know? Um, so well, I think that's what our yeah. clients look at us to for Brad is really being that um, expert to consult, to help them make that decision. Yep. So. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, before we go into the use case of internal training, a lot of people are looking for a website, but an internal training site is often an internet site for a company. Can you kind of help somebody who's kind of new to that concept understand what an intranet is? Sure. I, I mean, intranets are cool, right? And um, essentially an intranet is a website that is, you know, locked down. You can only access the site if you have permissions. Usually when you, someone's saying an intranet, it's like an internal company portal. Um, it's for, you know, all the employees of that company that can access, you know, relevant information, uh, maybe a calendar of events, maybe a personnel directory, um, things like that. So it's essentially, it's a website at the, at the end of the day. It's a website, but it's only accessible by certain people. And that's usually the employees of the company um, in a nutshell. Does that, did I do a good job, Lisa? You did a great job, Brad. Excellent. So you guys have done internal training websites, intranet sites for Starbucks, the National Park Service, Intap University. Can you kind of tell us what those kind of um, companies needed in terms of for internal training? Like what, what kind of website, what do these websites do? 
So the one project that absolutely everybody is curious about, always asks us about, it is the top uh, trafficked portfolio piece on our website, no matter who comes to our website, and that's the Starbucks build, right? Everybody wants to know because I think everybody's a fan of Starbucks and everybody can relate to that brand. Uh, so can I, because I love Starbucks. She's actually uh, a super fan. <laughs> I think I'm a super fan. <laughs> Is that called a stand? Is that what they call a stand? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, um, so Starbucks came to us and they wanted uh, employee training internal. So this is an intranet and it is uh, geared towards uh, employee training, which is a system that Starbucks wanted to use like WordPress and BuddyPress to train baristas how to make drinks with a particular uh, piece of equipment. In this case, it was the Verismo, I believe. Um, so what they wanted to be able to do was upload videos like training videos um, to show people how to use it, right? This is where you put the coffee, this is how much water you put it, whatever. Um, so they've got these videos. And then after they watch the video, uh, the barista takes a quiz and they're graded. And in order to move on to the next quiz or the next level or whatever, I think it was like a 70 or 80% uh, proficiency they needed to have on the quiz, something around there. Um, and that would allow them to move on to the next quiz and then to the next quiz. Um, and their managers at the stores were able to uh, view, the view the progress of the barista on how well they are doing um, and really kind of dig into any problems that they were having. Uh, we use like BuddyPress for their activity feed. Uh, we built leaderboards for them. There was gamification involved with uh, badging and achievements. Um, there were a lot of user access rules around the quizzes and who had access, um, not only who had access to the uh, results of the barista's tests, but also the barista themselves, there were access rules that we had to build, right? Because if they had to reach an 80% proficiency, um, you know that the only baristas that should be on the level two quiz are the people that got 80% on the level one quiz. So just kind of that. Um, and then they just needed like design overall. Uh, so we used a variety of things. Uh, Buddy Press, we used uh, custom post types, of course, gravity forms, uh, and created a quiz system that the employees could participate in. Um, we also integrated that with a Google Charts API, which allowed the managers to log in and see the uh, statistics on how employees scored. Very cool, very cool. So was that, um for like after they've already started or before you can come to your first day of work kind of thing do you know it was after they started it was like a so it's like a onboarding it's like, um if you were an, a barista at starbucks and yeah. starbucks introduced a new piece of equipment while you were working i mean you could have worked there for five years but the verismo is a brand new piece of equipment and so you need to be trained on it mm -hmm. or the unicorn frappuccino with a new drink that everybody's crazy about. So maybe you would take a quiz on how to make the best unicorn frappuccino in the world. Brad, you tried those unicorn frappuccinos, didn't you? I did. Um, maybe I had the zombie one too. And they're, I mean, they're literally just sugar. <laughs> so they, they look cool, but they're awful. I mean, I'm a fan of Starbucks, but I never <laughs> went that far. I mean, it, it's cool because like 
I remember after we rolled this out a few months later, like we could go to any Starbucks and we would always ask, like, hey, have you done any training on a website, a portal? And they're like, oh, yeah, I went through that. We're like, oh, we built that. And they're like, oh, great. That's nice. And then gave us our coffee. But uh, it's still <laughs> fun to hear, like, oh, yeah, it's actually being used by, like, literally every barista out there. Um, so it's it definitely a really fun project. Well, if you guys, I mean, you guys serve the enterprise where there's a lot of efficiency and there's Starbucks. I don't know how many Starbucks there are in the world, but um, a lot. <laughs> when you streamline education, uh, there's huge gains. I mean, most small businesses just kind of throw people to the fire. They'll, they'll be like, hey, shadow this experienced person. And, and that's what it is. This is what it looks like at scale with a lot of automation in there. So that's really cool. What about the National Park Service? What was that one like? So that was a fun project because um, unique in the sense that it was a government project um, and easily, I think we had, we'd maybe done one or two smaller government bids up to that point, but this was certainly the large, easily the largest one that we had done. So that has its own unique set of challenges, which I won't get into because that's not the point of this podcast, but uh, that always stands out to me because it was like our first big government gig. Um, it was, it was fun though. Basically we built again, a, uh, a portal for the national park service. Um, you had to be uh, a member of the national park service. And this is primarily par primarily for, um, MPS employees, like park rangers, things like that. And really what the goal was like, it was just a massive, like knowledge share, resource sharing, um, internet or portal for all of the, you know, employees of the, uh, the park service. So, um, a good example of, of how they would describe it to us and one of the challenges they're trying to solve is they had obviously have, you know, a ton of employees um, all over the U.S., all over the parks, the national parks. Um, some of these parks are, are huge, tons of traffic, tons of people uh, like Yellowstone, for example, and others aren't. They're in more remote locations where there might be like one park ranger that kind of works by themselves and they're really disconnected from the larger uh, MPS, you know, organization. So, um, it was a way to try to bring kind of, um, one, a social component again with buddy press so that there would be more interaction, especially for those, you know, those, those poor Rangers out there by themselves. They made it really, it was really sad hearing about it. I'm like, so they're just alone all day long. And they're like, Oh, they love it. Don't worry. Um, of course they're out like in the mountains and like loving nature and stuff. So maybe I'm a little jealous, but um, there's definitely kind of a learning aspect to it where they can do some training. There's a help center, um, a lot of uh, resource sharing, again, uh, cultural resources for employees. There's like internship opportunities. So again, kind of go back to that internet idea of just a nice employee portal where they can access all the relevant um, information that they might need. It was a, it was a, it was a pretty big initiative. Um, Again, all private, all behind the scenes, but the real uniqueness was the government and they just, it, things just run differently with budgets, with allocation, um, timelines, you know, all that stuff. So that was, that was, that was pretty neat. Um, but that was definitely a fun project. Yeah. The interesting thing about the National Park Service, um, aside from the fact that it was the National Park Service, I mean, that was just super cool to be involved with uh, anyways, but they had their own uh, learning online learning tool uh, the, called DOI Talent from the Department of Interior Talent. So we didn't use any um, like LearnDash or Lifter. We didn't use any like WordPress uh, specific LMS there. Um, but basically what we did is, is worked with their DOI Learn 
to provide access to their online courses. Um, so they also did like face-to-face -face courses and allowed people to register for in-person courses that they wanted to send their people to. And then they also did webinars. Um, so part of their knowledge library or their, I guess they called it their commons area, um, was really resources that employees could tap into from white papers, just like written documentation, to online courses that they could either register for or just view for free um, without registering, and then in-person webinars or in-person um, courses that they could attend. All of those details were filled within the commons in terms of you know, all of the event logistics that you would expect to be there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was their goal, is to really bring all of their park rangers together. Um, yeah, they gave us an example of the one singular park ranger guy who's like working in a park on the tippy top of Alaska all by himself. Um, you know, it's really hard, the logistics, to bring that guy in for regular <laughs> training to D.C., uh, so having this portal for those types of employees and to really um, make their documentation and resources for training consistent across the board as well was important. So I used to have these binders of, you can imagine, it's a government, right? So you used to have these office shelves filled with these huge binders of tabbed papers where they would have to go through and then that was their training material. So you can imagine the logistics of when that stuff updates, getting the new binders up to Alaska and <laughs> getting them, you know, updated with the most recent information was difficult. So now they've got the online portal that anybody can access. That's amazing. And you guys probably don't know this about me, but I spent about a decade in Alaska and I think I might know the guy. I used to run sled dogs in Alaska for a while and Wow. The guy, one of the guys that worked for the National Park Service, is the further furthest north, is a good friend of mine. He doesn't do that anymore, but that's um, the guy. That's I might, I might actually know idea. that guy. And everything I knew about his work up there was, um, he was alone. Like he would, he just get on the plane, go out into the field, and he was patrolling on dog team, doing some. I'm gonna stuff. guess that that's eighty percent the guy we're talking. <laughs> Small world. His name was Zach, but um, give us a name. <laughs> they just described his work environment yeah uh, a question about uh working with governments i'm seeing more and more people using lifter sites uh it mostly what i'm noticing is at the state level because you know every state does different things for different um government things um what advice do you have for for people who are wanting to do client services in the government sector be patient <laughs> Yeah. Long sales cycle or <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that was the one that stands out to me is it's, it's a long road to get from initial, you know, discussion to actually either winning or losing the project. You know, they, they move about as fast as you would expect the government to move. <laughs> and honestly, there's a lot of similarities, um, you know, for valid reasons with, uh, in the educational space too. Um, but that yeah. was one that stood out for me. It's, it's a totally different process for bidding and proposals and all of that. What about you? Yeah, for bidding, it's, it's completely different because the government has to go with the lowest bid. Like they're required to because, right, they're spending the people's money. So they want to make sure that they're being um, frugal with that money. So that, that means that they're not necessarily getting the best, which means the government doesn't always end up with the best 
front-facing technology. Except uh, in our case, right, Lisa? <laughs> well, I'm just saying that, you know, when you, when you lose a contract to a government uh, bid, for example, you know, don't be disheartened. Like a lot of times in uh, corporate and business, if we lose a contract, we're upset about it and we want to know who it goes to, but we have to understand that in government bids, it goes to the lowest bidder, period. And there are uh, agencies out there that will just bid low <laughs> just to get the contract. Um, but Brad's right. I mean, they, they move about as fast as you would expect government to move. And that doesn't always, uh, that's not limited to the uh, bidding process either. Like I was the point person on the National Park Service and I love those people. I really, really, really do. Um, but they're government and they move, you know, you always talk about the wheels of justice moving and turning really slow. Uh, so does the government. They move really slow. So we're used to like moving and shaking in the corporate world and the technology, but in government, you just kind of have to sit back <laughs> <laughs> and you work at their pace. And, um, you know, the national park service is great because it's a, it's a group of academics. There's, um, you know, anthropologists in there there's historians in there it's just super interesting project but academic so yeah you know. it was fun though it was a lot of fun and um accessibility is the other thing if, it, if an agency like if you're working with the government it's a uh, accessibility has to be top of mind and strict mm -hmm. one other thing that stood out to me is at the end of the, end of the project um, they're also required to do a retrospective that um, they have to share with the vendor who did the project, which was great. So we got some real raw, honest feedback. Yeah. Uh, exactly how they felt about the project um, at all levels. So you don't always get that, you know, from a client, even though you might ask and try to get it. Sometimes people just don't want to, don't prioritize it or are comfortable doing it, whatever. But, um, you know, it's an official thing that they have to fill out and have on file per the project. So, and we get access to that. So it was really valuable feedback to see how they perceive the project, um, which by and large was a very successful project. So they were happy. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> well, tell us about NTAP University. What was that one? I'll take that one, Lisa. Uh, I can, I can take it. Uh, NTAP is, um, they're more business, right? They're not government. They're not really education at all. They're business, but they uh, have clients that need to receive access to like educational programs to help them make the most of the investments that they make. So Intap provides software that enables law and accounting and economic consulting firms to kind of leverage uh, data, intelligent automation and AI. So INTAP provides educational programs to help those clients make the most of their investment. So courses are like semi or fully customizable um, and are led by their in-house people. So with INTAP, we use LearnDash, I think, Brad? Yeah. Are we allowed to say that on this podcast? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think so. uh, we implemented uh, LearnDash to kind of create those learning pathways for them um, and gosh, I'm trying to remember, I'm looking at our portfolio because it was a while ago. Um, they have the different events, like educational events that people can register for, but there's like these learning paths. And again, it's all about progress and course progression within it. And they do require their customers to pay for 
um, the courses in Intep University. So we did integrate uh, the Stripe integration with LearnDash, which was really nice. So very cool. I wasn't um, terribly involved with Intep, Brad. I think you were more involved there than I was. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, you pretty much covered it. I mean, it's 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 a more traditional kind of LMS. There is the the paid component to it um, around you know events and, and courses and things like that. But yeah. So one of the one of the buzzwords right now is social learning, and you guys have mentioned BuddyPress, and we run in, run into this a lot. Well, of different social applications in the learning context, whether that's uh, like groups of people taking a course or discussion areas and comments, forums, social feeds on the site, off the site, and social media group projects, um, students working together, like having their own kind of like mini mastermind groups and things like that. Uh, at the at your agency, what are you seeing in terms of social, even if it's not just specifically learning related, what's going on with social on the website versus on social media? What are, are you seeing any trends or things that clients want socially? <clears throat> and, and how do you see the WordPress website versus the social media group or page or whatever? Like, are people still doing social on the website? Are you seeing that? It's a good question. Um, so we've been involved with Buddy Press really since before it was Buddy Press, a long, long time. Um, always really enjoyed it. It's fun. Um, I always recommend Buddy Press. It's a, if you're not familiar with Buddy Press, it's essentially a, a plugin for WordPress that brings a lot of social networking features to WordPress. So you can basically build your own social network, whether it's public or private. Um, kind of, they always call it kind of Facebook in a box, if you will. Um, so we've been a fan of BuddyPress. It's fun. I always recommend BuddyPress if you're looking to contribute into the WordPress world because it's a lower kind of barrier to entry. It's not as many people working on it, so it's easier to kind of get more directly involved than WordPress. Um, so for years, you know, we've specialized in building BuddyPress websites. A lot of the sites we just talked about have BuddyPress integration. Uh, but honestly, like while we still are, will work on it, it's still available to work on it. It's just, it's... The, um, you know, people looking for BuddyPress or social component, we're just not seeing it as much as we used to. And this really, I think, has been on the downturn, at least from us, and this is just our, my perspective from what we're seeing and talking to clients, um, that they're just not, you know, they're, they're not coming to the door asking for that like they used to be. And, and um, we talked about a little bit pre-show, but I think, you know, some thoughts around why. Um, it's, it's a little hard to nail, but one, one thought that I do know comes to mind that some, some of our clients have run into is just the, the idea of having a social network and kind of owning your content is awesome and great. And people get excited about it, but and the reality of managing a social network and if it's an inactive social network at that, um, that's a big undertaking. And when I mean managing, like moderating, like making sure that, you know, conversations are appropriate and people are, have access that should or maybe areas they shouldn't have access. And just that constant grooming of the content and the social interactions to make sure that it's on topic and appropriate is a lot of work. It's a lot of work if you have an active social network, you know, um, look at Facebook. You know, that's obviously on the massive scale, but um, they can't even figure it out, you know, so <laughs> And they have a lot of money. Um, so it's, it, I feel like, I think that's probably part of it is people that were interested have dabbled with it. Maybe they've even tried it. Maybe they've rolled it out and realized, oh, there's, it's not really a set it and forget it type of thing. You have to continually groom it 
and that takes time and a lot of people just don't have the time. So, um, one thought that might, might contribute to it. I'm not sure. What are your thoughts, Lisa, on social? Um, so in two of the examples that we've talked about today in TAP, Starbucks, National Park Service, there are two of them, Starbucks and the National Park Service, that wanted a sort of social layer where users of their educational program could interact with one another via groups, forums, that type of thing to form, not necessarily study groups, but just kind of a, hey, I'm here, I'm in it with you kind of thing. I'm learning along with you. Um, let's talk about, you know, any challenges you have or gripe about the program and its rigid restrictions or whatever. Um, so there is some social layer that both of those clients wanted to provide for their user base because they thought their user base would um, benefit from that. Now, some of the challenges of running a social uh, like forum, groups, things like that um, that exist for anybody is things like moderating and comment spam and all of that kind of stuff. But when you're running an intranet, you really don't run into those problems because it's an intranet and it's not open and available to every spam bot out there to target your website. You know, like in the case of the National Park Service, in order to even be able to access it, you had to have an MPS.gov and authenticate through their um, sign-on authentication service. So they don't have those struggles. Um, and even then, they had the problem of moderating sort of those social chatter that went on on their website um, because not everybody's appropriate and it's a place of employment and people were treating it like a online forum, which, you know, sometimes communication can be a little lax. And so they ran into those challenges too and found that um, it wasn't going to be as easy for them to do this as they thought it would because now they need to employ somebody to moderate this program that they've put in place. And so they started thinking twice about doing that. And I think in terms of the types of clients that we do, which are corporate government, um, moderating the conversation becomes important because they are places of employment. So whether you have a forum or buddy press groups, or even if you're moderating a, tw a Twitter chat, uh, you know, on Twitter, um, or even a Facebook group, like you always have to be mindful of the appropriateness of the communication that's happening because it is a place of employment. So, yeah. yeah, that's a that's an excellent point about moderation. I think people think about like, oh, it'd be great to design the social component, but you got to add management to that layer as well. Really do. Really do. Still, so I can, still love it for intranets. I mean, like you said, Lisa, like it's such a great application, and you don't have to use all the features, but just the idea of a a little mini social network for a corporation, I I, I think is awesome. It's a, such a cool idea. Well, you guys made it to the mystery round. So, um, <laughs> so uh, a lot of people that watch this show, if they're um, one of the things we see causing people to fail across the five areas of being an expert, a teacher, a community builder, a technologist, and an entrepreneur is that they try to do too much by themselves for too long. You guys at Web Dev Studios, you all should check out webdevstudios.com and check it out. Click on their team page. And you'll see 40 or 50 smiling faces there. For someone who is trying, you guys are obviously really good at 
building a team, running a remote company, um, having a company culture. But so your mystery round question and you each take a turn at it. What, what's like one piece of advice for somebody who's needs to build a team? Like wh- how do, how do, how do you build a team and run a remote company successfully? What, what are a couple key ideas? It's a million dollar question, right? <laughs> you know, what's funny is like, uh, you know, we've been around for 11 years now. Um, and you know, like we just have always grown organically. So just as we needed to get bigger, we did. And there was never this, you know, five, 10 year, super detailed plan from the beginning of, all right, in two years, we'll be this size and five years will be this size. It's always just been, let's, let's grow as it's needed. Let's grow smartly with intent. Right. That's a big one. Um, but we don't want to grow just to grow or grow just say, Hey, we have, you know, 50 people look at us, you know, that doesn't, that's never been appealing to us. So, um, I think from my perspective, um, the best way to grow in a very general sense of the answer, I guess, because growing from one to two people or from, you know, 20 to 50 are very different challenges, but is you, you obviously need to work with people that are, um, really, especially early on that are really all in and really buying into what you're trying to do. You know, you need people on your side that are not just, you know, in it for the paycheck necessarily. Obviously that's important, but you know, you know, early on, it's important that you have people that are, that are by your side that truly are buying in and, and all in to help, help make it work. Um, As you get bigger, that starts to turn into what we've, you know, established on our side as a leadership team. Um, And these are, you know, in our case, people that have been here for a long time, people that have earned those positions, people have grown into the leaders that they are. Um, And they're, you know, extremely valuable components to what we're doing because they're, they're all in, you know? And so we really value the thoughts, ideas, suggestions, even the criticism that they bring, because we know they're not just punching it nine out of five and saying, that's all I care about. Like they will do anything I can to make this work. Um, for better or for worse. Like they'll be very raw and honest if they we're doing something when they don't agree with. And, and that's have, great. And have been. Very and have been. So <laughs> a bit of a broad answer, but that's my that's good. You gotta work with people you trust, work with people who are really buying into what you're what you're doing. Um and, and ultimately that does form into like a leadership style team. How about you, Lisa? Did I take your answer? Uh, <laughs> you didn't, but I agree, I agree one hundred percent, one hundred and ten percent in a rare moment of me agreeing with Brett. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For better or worse, right? The criticism. Mark this down on your calendar. Uh, <laughs> just a, a comment on that is, is that people are our greatest resource, and that sounds trite, but it is absolutely the truth. We would not be where we are today without the people around us, so it's important to surround yourself with people that you trust. I wouldn't be here if I didn't trust Brett, for example. I do, 100%, no question. But, no but period. Then my next thing is from my perspective, uh, I'm the operations at WebDev, Chief Operating Officer. So everything to me is process, process, workflow, workflow, checklists, all this stuff. And when I think back um, over my time at WebDev, I think we could have probably had an easier time if we would have thought about that growth and what that meant in terms of our process first rather than growing and then backtracking and trying to create process uh, 
sort of in response to that growth. Mm -hmm. So if you know you're going to grow, it is in your best interest to put workflows and processes in place, even minor ones, like a consistent Git workflow for your developers. Make that a thing, you know, so that there are no merge conflicts and everybody's doing it the same way and you know what to do from project to project. Um, so kind of thinking in advance and growing your team in your mind and trying to anticipate what you need in order to be successful with those people and to help those people be successful in helping your business um, and getting those processes in place. Like in my mind, process is so important, not as important as relationships with people for sure, but it's a close second. <laughs> She's like, you're like the Marcus Lavonis. You guys watch the prophet. He's always like people process yeah. product. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got two of the three there. That's awesome. I think, I think a lot of our pain points as a company over the last five or six years probably could have been mitigated a little bit if we were a little bit more proactive about process. Beautiful. Now I'm just, uh, I'm crazy about it. Like I'm, and that's that discovery piece we talked about was not something we were doing as a dedicated required part of our process, you know, four or five years ago. And now that we are, it has made it's night and day the way we're running projects. So we start off on the right foot versus stumbling out of the gate and then somehow making it across the finish line. We're starting out in a really solid place because of that discovery, which is part of our process. So, well, and it's a, it's a, a waterfall effect because when we have, a consistent discovery process, you know, at the end of that discovery process, we have a document that serves as a roadmap for our developers. So when our developers are hopping into a project, they know what to expect. They're not hopping into the great unknown. Um, they know what to expect. They know they're going to get a document. They know they're going to get a roadmap. They know they're, they're going to get tasks to complete um, and how much time they need to complete those tasks. I mean, it's very, um, I don't want to say it's regimented because it's not really that strict, but it is uh, very much of a process that we follow from project to project. And it's a formula that works really well for us. That's beautiful. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. That's Lisa Sabin Wilson and Brad Williams from web dev studios. You can find them at webdevstudios.com. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I can't, uh, I don't remember last time Lisa and I did a podcast together. So it's been a long time. It's a, it's a special show today. <laughs> and this was, that us. was the first uh, mystery round. So you guys did great. Uh, you guys did fantastic. You said we made it. So I was kind of curious <laughs> if other people didn't make it to that round and what happened. <laughs> and that's a wrap for this episode of LMS cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by lifter LMS the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.